I'll give you just a moment to turn over to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And um, we'll be looking at uh, verses 18 to 27 today. We're not going to read it all at once. We're just going to work our way through some of the scriptures. So if you have your copy of the scripture, keep it uh, open there to Amos chapter 5 because we'll be uh, looking at all that passage, verses 18 to 27, uh, over the next few moments. We are in a series on Amos, and uh, if you've missed uh, a bit so far, I challenge you to go back and uh, read through these first, um, first five chapters of Amos that we've been working our way through because there are some great challenges. These aren't just meant to be challenges for the nation of Israel back in Amos' time uh, as uh, the prophet which is called just for this purpose of sharing this message with uh, the whole kingdom of Israel. But it's not just a message for a nation of Israel, but a great challenge, in fact, a series of challenges for us as a church today. And uh, many of us have seen ourselves in the book of Amos so far in the series of times in which we have, um, have fallen away from God and need to be kind of pulled back in line or uh, challenged uh, to, uh, to live how God wants us to. And this week is no different as we uh, find in this passage a church which has really lost their focus and uh, we're doing a lot of good religious things but weren't really living out the life that God had them to live. And uh, so look with me, if you will, in the beginning here of uh, Amos chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 18. Amos chapter 5, verse 18. I'll just look at uh, verses 18 to 20 here first. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Let's just pray. Dear God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. And Lord, I thank you that at some times your, your word is great comfort to us and, and assurance that sometimes it's a great challenge for us. And Lord, I pray that at all times you help us to be recipients of your word. You help us to be able to receive your word as the Holy Spirit guides us through it. Teach us your ways, God, that we be the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this is an interesting passage to, to start with. I, I love the, um, I mean, the, the analogy here of the way that saying, look, in the day of the Lord, there's going to be no one that's going to escape. And it, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, in this picture saying it's like a man who flees from a lion and thinks he's safe and runs straight into a bear. Or someone that runs in into the house and rest his hand on the wall only to be bitten by a poisonous snake. You may think that you've escaped somehow, but there's no escape on that day of the Lord. Now, verse 18, this phrase, the day of the Lord, uh, this comes really out of uh, an idea of, of Israel's early holy wars in the time of the judges and some of the early kings. And this is back, say, 1220 to 1000 B.C. And the, the thought was that God would always fight for Israel and he would use 
cosmic weapons to wipe out the enemies of, of Israel, which in effect would be the enemies of God. And so Israel optimistically believed that this would someday climax in a day and a time in which God would just wipe out one great day. And when it says the day of the Lord, it means the time of the Lord, a time in which God is going to come and just wipe out all of the enemies of Israel and establish God's kingdom on earth, which of course then would be the kingdom of, of Israel, they believed. And so there are some people, although Amos has been talking to them about this time which coming which, which cannot be stopped now in which the people will be judged according to how they've lived. And because they've turned away from God, they will be punished and there will be suffering and there will be struggle in that day. There are many people in the nation of Israel, in the kingdom of Israel, in both Judah and Israel, who, who doubted Amos' words. They say, who is this guy? He's not even a prophet. He's not the son of a prophet. He's not a, a professional prophet. This is a, a farmer in a pincher of sycamore trees who says he's bringing God's word to us. God's not going to punish us. We're his people. We are, we're Israel, God's chosen people, his dearly loved people. He's not going to punish us. And so that many of them may have started to doubt that Amos' words were really true, that they really were God's word. Because why would God punish the people that he loved? And there are others who, who long for that day when God was going to finally wipe out all the enemies of Israel. But Amos here challenges the people. He said, look, why, why in the world are you wishing for that day to come? Because when that day comes, it is you who will be destroyed. It is you who can be wiped out. Because you who are meant to be the people of God, who are meant to be following God, who are meant to be trusting in Him, have become, by the way you've lived, by the choices you've made, you become the enemies of God. Now, the people in Israel, they've heard this message through Amos, but many of them may have doubted that it would ever happen because they'd become a wealthy and, and a comfortable people. I mentioned earlier in the series that by this time, the, the nation of Israel had, has expanded their, their kingdom. Israel and Judah have expanded the whole kingdom over all of, of Israel to almost back in the time of, of King David by military conquest. And they become a, a powerful group and a wealthy group. Many of that, by, or much of that wealth, uh, by the exploitation of others. But they become wealthy and comfortable. And they could not believe that anything could happen to them or their lifestyle. Now, I was an 80s kid. I grew up in the 80s. And I, many of you, some of you maybe can't even remember back that far. I don't know. But um, if you remember the 80s, there was a great little song that said, My future's so broad, I've got to wear shades. Yeah. You remember that? I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't worry. I won't, I'll spare you that. But there's a great phrase saying, My future's so broad, I've got to wear shades. Yeah. Saying, I, I'm so, and it's a guy really who's kind of, so full of himself, really. Like, everything's going my way. This is kind of how the nation of Israel were. They were so comfortable. They're so set in their ways. And they're like, what does this guy know? Doesn't he know our future? We're, we're, we're God's people. We're dearly loved people. Look how he's blessed us. We've got riches and comfort. 
And the passage over and over in Amos talks about the people of Israel just lounging back on their lounges in their comfort and their wealth. While God expects them to be the people of God, not just to receive His blessing, but to live out the challenge that they had as the people of God to share His majesty, to share God's strength and His love and grace with others. But they weren't living out that love and grace. They were just recipients of His mercy. The people had lost their focus as the church or as the people of God. They were meant to be following God and, and following in His ways, but they become their ways had become about selfish desires. They become about me instead of about Him. They were willing to follow God's plans when they didn't conflict with their plans. But when, when it was easier just to kind of lounge back on the lounges, on the, the couches and uh, relax, they were doing that rather than living out justice and mercy and righteousness. They forgot to follow God's ways. They were happy to, to sing His praises and to, to come along and to, to worship Him and to follow a lot of kind of religious practices. They still brought sacrifices in and all the things that followed their religious law. But they weren't living the life that God had challenged them to live. And it's a, a challenge for us as a church, even today as well, to kind of say, is there more to church than just going together, getting together on a Sunday morning? I would say absolutely. Absolutely. Is there more to church than just a worship team? Is there more to church than just... The, the music and the songs that we sing or the hour that we spend together on a Sunday morning or, or a Sunday night or whatever they might be. Absolutely. This is meant to be part of what we do as a church. An important part, yes. But we are meant to be praising Him and adoring Him together. We're meant to be praying as His people together, trusting Him. We're meant to be challenged by His Word together and spurring one another on in the faith together, encouraging each other, supporting each other in the rocky road of faith out in our community. But every single day, every single moment of every single day, we're meant to be living out God's love and His grace. We're meant to be leading people to Christ. That means in our workplace. That means in your marriage. That means with your family. That means when you're at Lake Haven or at Soldiers or wherever you are around the community. It means we are meant to be leading people to God by the way we live our lives as His church. We're meant to get together as His church here and worship Him, we're meant to be the church by the way we live our lives. This church, the people of God in Israel, had forgotten their way. And the people who were meant to be the, the children of God, the people of God, His dearly loved family, had become the enemies of God. And it continues on here by saying, your worship... It has become empty and, and pointless. Look with me in verses 21 to 24. It says this. Beginning verse 21 says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Man, what a challenge. 
God doesn't hold back anything on this, does he? He just kind of pretty much says what he thinks. This is one of those things where if someone's telling you this and they're saying this, you go, well, why don't you just say what you really think? I mean, God makes it pretty obvious how he feels about them uh, following their religious rules and not living the life. Look at that. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. All the offerings that you're bringing, I'm not going to accept them. You bring all the fellowship offerings, the choices, but I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music from your harp. The people had, were following, they were doing all the right things by their religious standards. They would have been keeping their, their pastor happy. They would have been keeping the, the religious leaders and the teachers happy because they were bringing in the right sacrifices. They're bringing in the choicest sacrifices, the best they could bring. They're singing all the right songs. The drummer's keeping beat. They're singing in tune. And that's good for a church. That's not always the case. This church was doing all the right things. They were worshiping well by the world's standards. But God says, you know what? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. In fact, that that sounds so beautiful to you and that that sounds so beautiful to the world is repulsive to me. Why? Because I don't want your music. I don't want the sacrifices. I don't want to, you to follow just religious rules. It's pointless if there's no heart behind it. I want a people who surrender to me. I want a people who trust me, not who just sing that they trust me, but who trust me. Not who just talk about wanting to follow me, but who actually follow me. I want a people who are changed by me. Oh, how God wants to change our hearts and our life to show His grace and His mercy, to show His justice and His righteousness. He says, all of this noise of your songs is repulsive to me. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, have you ever sung empty words? Let me rephrase that because many of you are singing powerful words, words are full of meaning in the songs, but your heart just isn't into it, in it. And we all do it, don't we? I've mentioned before the song Amazing Grace, the old hymn Amazing Grace. When I was growing up, it was kind of known as the Baptist National Anthem because we just sang it all the time, Amazing Grace. And I just think, it, there's such a great song. That is a great song, isn't it? And I've always been amazed when you see a church singing about the amazing grace of God and instead of showing that in their face, you just go, Amazing grace, how sweet. And they're fixing their shirt or doing whatever, not really paying attention to what they're doing. We do it all the time. The church can go into autopilot. The autopilot isn't just for, for planes and technology. It's something we often do as well. Now, we do it in, in everyday circumstances, too. Now, I don't know if you, you're like this. Hopefully, you're a bit safer driver than me. But I have been driving long distances before across America, as you do. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you're driving for hours on end, sometimes you can look around and go, oh, 
how did I get here? I, I don't remember passing that, that sign. And, and you realize you've gone through several intersections and, and you've made, maybe you've even merged into another lane and you're heading the right direction, but you have no idea how because you don't remember making those choices. You don't remember making those decisions. And I, I've, gone to, I've come to those times and I've said, oh, thank you, God, because you were driving me when I hadn't a clue. And sometimes we just sit back and we just go, I have no idea how I got to where I am. I'm just going through the motions. And to any other driver, you would look like you're driving nice and safe. You look like you know where you're going. You're making all the right choices. But it's not, it's not happening in here. You think, how in the world is it happening? Well, sometimes we as a church can be singing the songs and, and to, to other people in the church, man, it looks great. Looks like, man, they're really worshiping. They're singing with all their hearts. You see, God knows. He knows that for some of us, man, the words are coming out, the songs are there, but you haven't a clue. It's not sinking in. God's not really directing you in that. You're not allowing Him to change your life. How scary it is when you be on the road and be driving and have no idea what you're doing, but you're just kind of moving along. How scary it is as a pastor To know that we could have a church absolutely packed with people. Every single week, we could have a church packed full of people who are just not really worshiping God. Who are going through the motions, doing the right things. They're carrying their Bibles. They're reading them. They're singing the right songs and doing all the right things. But not really worshiping God. We have, as a church, we have to be intentional about this we have to to focus because god deserves our sincerest praise and if our praise is sincere and we really trust god as much as we sing about it then it will show in the way we live out our lives through our justice and we will be showing the justice and righteousness of god in our lives if we're really worshiping god with sincerity in spirit and in truth, as the Bible says we should, then it will show in our lives because we will be living out the justice and the righteousness of God. Look with me further. It goes a little bit further in verses 25 and 26. It says, also, you're really not seeking to honor God. Verses 25 and 26 says, as God talking again said, did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up shrines for your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? Did you bring me sacrifices and, and offerings while you were wandering around in the desert for these 40 years? While I was leading you the whole time, while I was guiding you by the cloud in the day and the fire at night, did you bring me these offerings and sacrifices? was it about those religious things. I guided you with my word. And you trusted and you followed me there. And I led you to what is right. Now, some would say, well, um, some have argued over the years. Christians like to argue about things, especially theologians. They go, oh, this meant this and no, that meant that. Some would say, well, th there was no, there were no cattle and things that they could have brought sacrifices and stuff in the in the 
the wilderness. And others say, well, no, the Bible says that they had plenty of, uh, of herds and cattle and there would have been plenty to offer the sacrifices, uh, but they just didn't do it. I don't actually know that, that either of those is, is that important in here. But he's saying, look, for 40 years I guided you. I was there. My presence was guiding you. And, and you followed me. I led you to what is right. And yet, you weren't really worshiping me and praising me and adoring me with this. You still are not trusting me with your life, although I've led you through all this. But you have built idols to your king and idols to false gods. Your direction is in all the wrong places. You're not really seeking God. You're looking to these false gods. You're looking to kings to guide you. You're looking to political leaders to guide you. You're looking to false gods to guide you. I am the one who brings you direction. I am the one who guided you for those 40 years and who loves you and cares for you, and yet you don't turn to me. You don't follow me. You don't trust me. You don't acknowledge God even after the 40 years of protection and deliverance. You follow these statues of kings and leaders and false gods. Verse 27 says, Therefore... I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is Almighty God. Because God loves His people, He also chastises His people. He guides them and He directs them to what is right, justice and righteousness. And He says, you know what? I'm happy that you're getting together. I'm happy that you sing songs of praise and worship. I'm happy that you bring in offerings and say god bless what is given but i'd rather you not do any of that if there's no heart behind it god doesn't just he doesn't need the music i mean he's got the angels in heaven who can be singing singing his praises in fact they're continually singing his praises singing holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come he gets enough of the worship and praise he doesn't need the songs and believe it or not, as much as people think that churches push for offerings and, and finances, I will say, God doesn't need your money. And in fact, He would rather you not bring the songs and the, the worship and the, the, the offering. And He'd not follow, rather you not try to follow religious practices if you're not going to truly trust Him with your life. Now I'd say that worship is important. I would say the offerings are important. I would say that giving your time and, and your ability to, to help around the place and to help with the different ministries, all those are, are vital things. They're important things for the church. And I would love to see those things continue. I'd love to see things flourish in the church. But what I want more than anything as a pastor is to know that I have a people here. We're leading in a group of people. We're working alongside a group of people who are centered on God, who are focused on Him, who are, are, are surrendered to Him. I care far more, I care far more about your heart than I do about your wallet. I care far more about your heart than I do your voice or your musical ability. I care far more about your heart than I do about any of the, the ministries or the programs that we have in the church. Buildings will come and go. Programs will come and go. All of these things that we put as so important about church will be gone someday. But our sincerity of heart, 
can make a difference for all of eternity. Because we are men as a church to be people who are centered on God, surrendered to Him, allowing Him to, to guide our lives so that in everyday life we are leading people to God. We are showing God's love and His grace, His justice and His righteousness. We are living out God's ways in our everyday life, leading people to Him, not pushing people away. The worship, the programs... All the things that we do as a church to seem like a church and to seem good in each other's eyes, to pat ourselves on the back and say we're, we're good Christians, you know what it's doing? It's not only repulsive to God, it turns people in the community away because they go, oh, you're one of those people. You go to that church down the corner, don't you? Are you you're, you're that one down by the lake. Yeah, okay. And they, they see how we live during our, our lives and they go, you know what, I don't want anything of that. I don't want it to do, I don't want anything to do with that church or any church because I've known of people who talk about God's love and they talk about God's grace and then you turn your back on someone who's in need. That was the nation of Israel. They were oppressing those that they're meant to be caring for. They're meant to be showing justice and righteousness. They're meant to be showing God's ways and they just showed their selfishness their own pride. Unfortunately, even at Lakes, even as the, the church in general on the coast, even as God's church in His world, we can be much the same. My fear is that when the world see us, they only see us and not Christ. They only see us and not God in us. God, through His Holy Spirit, works in us as we surrender to Him to share His love and to share His justice, to share His righteousness, to share His mercy as we are willing just to follow Him, to trust Him and to worship Him with sincerity, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, to let there be a changing power in the way we worship. A changing power in the way that we read God's Word, allowing His Spirit to guide us, to challenge us in, which we need, in times in which we need to change to lead us in times which we need direction, to comfort us when we need strength and, and support. We need to allow God to change us, to be more like Him, less like us, to be the church that He wants us to be, to be a church that keeps its focus intentional on following God and trusting in Him. Let's just pray. God, I thank You and I praise You for the precious gift of Your Word. And Lord, I thank You for the, the mercy and the grace that You show to us for the sincerity and the depth of Your love. And Lord, I pray that in our worship, in our ministries, in our activities, Lord, I pray that we be a people of sincerity who not just sing out Your praises, who not just talk about our love for You, but who mean it, who surrender to You, who allow You to chastise us. We allow You to change us we allow you to challenge us. We allow you to comfort us and to strengthen us and to mold us into who you want us to be. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to minister together in this community for this time and this season. And Lord, I know that you have all, all we need. You are all we need to minister in this community, to do your work of love, to share your justice and your righteousness, your comfort and your mercy. Help us, God, to surrender to you as your people. 
Help us, Lord, to, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, and to lead others in our everyday lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our community. Help us, God, to be challenged and, and to worship You here, to adore You and to challenge one another, and help us, God, in every day of our lives, in all these aspects of our lives, God, help us to lead people to You. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.